Bibles now, if you would please, and we'll open them to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm, I'm going to preach an unusual sermon today, and I don't know how it's going to come out, but we're going to try to preach God's Word and explain what He has for us here this morning. Um, as most of you are aware, Brother Gary Moline and I uh, took a trip to Israel last month, and we were very blessed and privileged to be able to do that. And one of the things that uh, I really thought about when we were on this trip was how much things have changed since Jesus walked on this earth. And of course, physically, a lot of things have changed in the, in the country of Israel. But I was thinking more about how customs change and how we do things that are so much different than the way things were done back at the time of Jesus and the apostles. There are a lot of things that we do in church that are not the same as what the apostles did. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that as, as long as we're not contradicting very clear biblical principles. But there are some things that, that we do wrong in churches today. And uh, if I were to make a list of those, I'm sure that it would be a very long list. I don't have time to go into all those things. But there is something here that's really pertinent to the message that I want to bring today from this particular passage of Scripture. Today I want to talk to you about the roles of men and women in worship. Now this is largely misunderstood by many people in Christian churches. Uh, there are many pastors that, that try to press unbiblical principles and alter Scripture in order to fit things into today's society. Now what we very clearly need to understand where Paul talks in the Scriptures and where God is speaking in the strict Scriptures about the current customs or things that were going on in their day and when God is talking about timeless principles. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about some issues that you might not even have thought of when it comes to worship in the church. We're going to study this entire passage from Second uh, Corinthians 11, from verse number 2 down to verse number 16 is where we're going today. But we're not going to read all of it at once. We're going to kind of sectionalize it here. So I'd like you to stand, please, if you would. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 2. And we notice here that Paul starts out with a positive statement before he begins to criticize the Corinthians for the wrong way of worship. He says in verse number 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. And it was very important that the people remember what the apostles taught by oral speaking, uh, the ordinances that the apostles gave, because they didn't yet have the New Testament written down. And so they had to pass these teachings along. So it was good for them to remember this. Now, in verse number 3, Paul begins to address the problem here. I want you to notice how many times he uses the word head in this scripture, and he refers to both physical head and spiritual head. Verse number 3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would open up the scriptures to us today. Make this clear to us and help us to understand what Paul is saying here. Lord, help us to understand some timeless principles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
You may be seated. You're very good. You fall. <laughs> we have to mark out here when Paul is talking about timeless principles and when he's talking about customs. This past summer, I was back in Kentucky and we were visiting family there. And uh, one afternoon, I went out driving close to where my daughter Lauren lives. And in the community where she lives, there, there's also a large Amish community that's nearby. Now, as you probably know, the Amish don't have many of the modern conveniences that we have today. At least they, they've got them, but they don't use them many times. Uh, they don't drive cars, and, and they make their own clothes and such things as that. But I was driving along the highway there, and I came up behind one of these Amish uh, horse-drawn carriages. And I noticed as I was looking there, the women that were riding in this carriage, and all of the women there had something on their head. They had a bonnet on their head. And the reason that they do that, because wearing that bonnet is a sign of respect and authority. If you go to a ball game, you'll notice sometimes that when the, like a football game, for instance, that that the players may have a prayer before they begin to, to play the game, and they all take their helmets off. Well, the reason that they do that is because that is a sign of, res, uh, of respect. Take your, take your hat off before you bow to pray. When you come into a church building, you notice that none of the men in our church today are wearing a hat because we understand that that is a sign of respect that we don't wear a hat when we come into church. When we had the bus ministry, and we had it for many years, there were times when children would come into church, the young boys, and they would have a hat on their head, and some member would go up to them and very quickly grab them and say, take your hat off in church. And I'm sure that many of those young people did not understand that it was a sign of disrespect to have your hat on in the church. Now, what is, what is Paul talking about here when he mentions about whether you should or you should not wear something on your head when you come into worship? Well, let's notice here, first of all today, that God has a pattern for worship. There's a very definite pattern that we follow when we come into the house of God, and when you... Uh, come here, if you're not following God's pattern, you can be sure you're always going to run into trouble. Paul here has something to say about the differences between men and women when they come to worship. We're going to expand on those differences in later sermons, but for right now, Paul is simply laying down here a difference. Now, he presents three problems in the Corinthian church, and all of these things are big problems, and the first problem is women praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered, and men praying and prophesying with their heads covered. That's the subject that we're going to cover today. The next problem that we find here is the abuse of the Lord's Supper. Many people in the Corinthian church had turned the Lord's Supper into a drunken feast. They made it just a party time. And so Paul talks about that later in this chapter. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper in next Sunday morning's sermon. Then the third problem that we find here is the abuse of speaking in tongues. And we're going to talk about that as well. That comes in a later sermon. But we're going to talk about this first problem that Paul addresses here. And there are two important issues in these first five verses, or verses 2 through 6 that we've just read. As we consider God's pattern for worship, we need to understand, first of all, the timeless issue. And this timeless issue is authority. This is a timeless principle, and this is something that doesn't change whether we're living in 33 A.D. when Jesus walked on the earth or whether we're here in 2008 sitting in the church building this morning. This is a principle that does not change, and it will not change. 
The issue here is authority. And then also the flip side of authority, how do we demonstrate that we believe in this authority? Now, Paul is saying here that there is a threefold line of authority that we need to recognize. In other words, there are three different levels of authority. Starting at the very top is the submission of Jesus Christ to the authority of the Father. So that's number one, the submission of Christ to the Father. When Jesus was here for 33 years, he voluntarily submitted himself to the authority of God the Father. Now, understand very clearly that Jesus is God. He is co-eternal. He is co-existent with God the Father. But when Jesus came to this earth, he voluntarily submitted himself to the Father's will. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. Then the second level of authority is the submission of man to Christ. Man submits to the authority of Jesus Christ. And Christ is the head of the man... And he's the head of the man, whether you recognize it or not. Now, some people are going to go into eternity, and they're going to regret that they didn't find out until later that Jesus Christ is really the authority of all people. Then the third level of authority is this one that's really so often abused in churches today. Number three is the submission of the wife to her husband. The authority of a husband over a wife. And when this authority is not recognized in practice, there will be problems. Now, as we think about that first level of authority, the submission of Jesus Christ to the Father, we don't really need to worry so much about that because Jesus was God, and so he perfectly always obeyed the Father. He submitted as he should. The second level we need to talk a little bit more about, and that's because we're human, and we don't always submit as we should, but we do need to understand that man is under the subjection of Jesus Christ. He is the authority over the church, and so we are to submit to his authority and to his lordship. This also shows us that Jesus is the example for every one of us here today that are men, and what we're to do is to very carefully look at the example that Jesus gave and to follow his example. And we notice from Scripture what kind of authority or what kind of leader that Jesus was. Was he a type of leader who was was domineering? Was he a demanding leader? Was Jesus Christ a, a leader who practiced cruelty and tyranny? Well, absolutely he didn't. And he even demonstrated his approach to authority, if you remember, one time when Jesus bent down and washed his disciples' feet. He was a person with great authority, and yet he showed a servant's mentality. Now let's go on to that third level. This is the husband over the wife. Understand me here, the Bible teaches this. You can try to get rid of it if you want. Try to do away with it, but the Bible very clearly teaches that the husband is the head of the wife. When we were studying the book of Ephesians, Paul pointed that out. And it's very important that we understand exactly the way that Paul put this. Because he said that uh, the husband is the head of the wife, just as Jesus is the head of the church. Now let me read that to you, because I think it's important uh, for you to really see how Paul states this. In Ephesians 5.23, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, and notice this, even as... Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Later, if you want to turn there, you'll look at that scripture. And men, what you need to do is to underline the words, even as, because that means that Christ set the example. So in your home, does that mean that you dominate your family? Does it mean that you are a taskmaster over your wife and your children? 
Does it mean that you are to be tyrannical and cruel to your family? Well, absolutely not. Because just as Jesus had a servant's attitude, even as the Scripture says, you are also to have a servant's attitude towards your wife. So that means that you're supposed to to, uh, uh, treat her properly. You are to recognize that you're the head of your family, and as you do that and you treat her properly, your wife gladly recognizes your authority just as you recognize the authority of Christ. It never once affected Christ's authority because he had this attitude of a servant. In fact, what it did, it caused his disciples to love him even more. So that's the example that he gives us. And what we have here, that is a timeless truth. These things never change. And no matter what pastor, what church, whoever it is who tries to erode this principle, the principle still remains the same. It's a principle, a timeless principle of authority. The husband is to have the authority in the home. Now, as we understand the timeless issue of authority, we also see here, secondly, that there, is, there are some temporary instructions. There's some variable things that are presented here, and these things depend upon the custom of the time. What's going on in the place where you live? What is the circumstance? Now, let's try to understand here this issue in the Corinthian church. The underlying issue is the issue of authority, and then layered over the issue of authority is the way that you demonstrate that you recognize that authority. You remember when we talked about Corinthian women? Remember what we said about that? That... Corinthian women had a certain reputation in the world. In the Roman Empire, Corinthian women were derided because they were considered to be very loose and immoral. Now, of course, we're not talking about the church here, but in general, people, women who lived in the city of Corinth, they were considered to to be very loose and immoral people. Now, today, if I said to one of the ladies here in our church, woman, you are a whore, that would be a terrible insult, wouldn't it? And likewise, at this time, if a person said to you as a lady, you are like a Corinthian woman, that would be a horrible insult. Now, here's what's going on in the church. If you went to a service in the Corinthian church, you would see women standing up and praying with their heads uncovered. There are two things that are wrong with that, and I'm only going to address one of them today, just one of them today. When you saw this woman in the church with her head uncovered, You would see this woman worshiping in that way, and then in the Corinthian church, you would also see a man worshiping with his head covered. And what Paul says is that when you do that, you are blurring the lines of authority. The authority begins to fade out here. Now, in those days, why why does he say that? Now, In those days, because when, when they wanted to show that they were under authority, the woman would wear a head covering. They wore a head covering, much like you see in the Middle East today. And this was a head covering that covered up the entire head. And so every woman in the church or in Corinth had their head covered except for one kind of woman. What kind of woman was that? It was the Corinthian woman. It was the loose, immoral woman. And so you would recognize those women because they were the women that were the temple prostitutes. And when they took their head covering off, that was an advertisement. And they were saying, I'm available. Any man that wants me, I'm available. Does it matter if I'm married? You can come and you can have me any way that you want because I don't respect the authority of my husband. And so when a woman was in the church at that time and she took off her head covering, whether she intended to do it or not, What she was saying under the custom of the time is that I am available. It doesn't matter whether I'm married. 
I don't have an authority over me. Now, these women in the Corinthian church, the reason they did this is because they were thinking, well, now we're free. We've become Christians, and so, so now the customs of the land, those things are no longer binding on us. And so what these women did, they went out and they had a scarf-burning ceremony. They just burned it all up, and they declared themselves to be free. And they started cutting their hair short. Paul says, don't you do that, because that is unacceptable in this culture. And he's stating, or you're stating, that you are no longer under authority. Now, you see what I mean here? It's important for us to understand in the context what he's saying. Now, if this custom were binding on us today, then all of you ladies here this morning, what you ought to do is you ought to go out and get a head covering. And I mean that you ought to cover up your entire head. And I don't mean that you go out and you buy a nice fancy hat or put a little doily on your your head to wear because that was not the biblical head covering. You know, back when I was a, I was a child, uh, used to, when, when women came to church, they all wore the big fancy hats. You, ever, you remember that, when women used to come wearing hats? Well, they didn't necessarily do that for the issue of authority. It was a fashion statement. Whoever had the prettiest hat, you know, that's a fashion statement. Well, the issue here is authority. I mean, the, the authority issue is still with us no matter what. But we're talking about here a local custom. And unless it's the local custom to cover up your head to show the authority, then you don't need to do that. So who's right and who's wrong here? Do you keep your head covered or you don't keep your head covered? Well, it depends on what you use to demonstrate authority, and you pay attention to what that is. Now, there are some churches that are very legalistic about it. In fact, you'll find some churches that insist women must wear a head covering But what they don't do is they don't go back to what the Bible says the head covering was. They wear something completely different. They may wear that hat I'm talking about, a little doily that goes on their head. Well, that wouldn't be the biblical principle or the biblical way if this is still binding on us. So it's important that we understand God's pattern for worship. We understand the issue of authority, and you need to be very careful how you display that authority and that you understand the issue of authority. Now, the second thing that we want to look at from this scripture is that God has a purpose for worship. Let's go on and let's read verses 7 through 10. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. There in verse number 7, we find one of God's purposes for worship. Why do we worship? We worship to reflect, reflect God's glory. We worship to reflect God's glory. What does the word glory mean? You know, we sing about that and we talk about glory all the time, but what does the word glory actually mean? It means brightness. It means uh, honor. And what it really carries with it, this connotation to brag on or to point out or to call attention to someone else. And this is exactly what we do when we come to church. We call attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't come to worship for us. We come to worship because of Christ. And we want all the glory to go to him. And so that's why we come here to worship. So our services, what we do at Berean Baptist Church, is always directed towards the worship of God. When you worship, you reflect God's glory. It's just like the the moon reflects the illumination of the sun. Only here we're talking about the sun, S-O-N. 
So when you worship, you reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. And you honor God the Father through your worship. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see the word glass there? That's the very same word that we would say mirror. And he says that when you worship God, when you glorify God, it's just like looking at your face in the mirror and seeing a reflection of God. So you ought to worship because that enables others to see the brightness of God's glory. Now, you know what I don't like? I don't like it when people come to church and we stand up and we sing all of these hymns of praise and worship and you'll notice that there are some people back there standing like this. Everybody's singing and they're looking like, I don't need this. I don't need to be a part of that. What does that say to the person who's sitting next to you? If there's a lost person sitting next to you, what do they think when they see you singing your heart out to God? They think this person has a real connection with the God that they love. This person really believes in Jesus Christ. They want to worship God. And so when you don't sing, when you stand there and you don't, you're not worshiping. You're defeating the purpose of worship because you don't reflect the glory of God. Now, how does Paul tie that in? How does he tie God's glory in with a head covering for a man? Well, in Corinth and many of the other churches of Paul's time, the men didn't wear a head covering because that symbolized that the man is the one in authority. He doesn't wear one because he's in authority, and the woman does wear one to show her submission to authority. Now, today, as I mentioned a moment ago, men still don't wear a hat when they come into church. And you know why? Because we've held over this ancient custom. This goes all the way back to the time of the Apostle Paul that we don't wear a hat in the church. That is a symbol of disrespect if we do. So it's a custom that goes all the way back. But then there's another purpose for worship. And I think this is quite interesting because it ties together how that when we show the proper respect, we show God's glory and we also worship to respect God's creation. Whenever we, whenever we regard these lines of authority, we respect God's order of creation. Now, look at verses 8 and 9. He says, For the woman, or rather the man, is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So when we respect this order, we respect God's creation. Man was created first. And the Bible says that he was created in the image of and for the glory of God. Now, notice there back in verse 7 when Paul talks about man is created in the image of God, then he changes things, and he says that woman is created for the glory of man. The woman is still created in the image of God, but she's been created for the glory of her husband. Now, let me explain something. What it seems that many women tend to forget today is that the way to glorify God is not to think about how you feel about this and what your opinion of this is. The way to glorify God is always to worship in the way that God requires so if you're going to worship God, you are to assume this God-given role of submission to the man's leadership. Now, you can argue anything that you want to about this. It's plainly written here in the Word of God that the only way that we can glorify God is to follow God's instructions. That's the only way that we worship God properly. That honors God's creation. 
Now notice something else he says in verse 10 because this is the, it's really interesting here because he says, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. What does that mean? What do angels have to do with what we're talking about? Well, Paul says to worship correctly, you have to observe God's pattern and God's way. And he says you must do that because of the angels. We can't see angels, but I want to tell you that angels are a part of every one of our worship services. Right here today, I couldn't tell you, there may be thousands of angels right here in this building this morning. Angels are always here when we worship God. Now, the angels were created with very precise instructions on the way that they could worship God. And so, when they see us, as humans, worshiping God in the wrong way, that's offensive to them. And so, when an angel sees a man or a woman dishonor God by not respecting God's lines of authority, when they see a woman taking prominence in the church services that she shouldn't have, when, he see, when the angels see women preachers standing up in pulpits, then the angels are offended by that because that is not the way that we're supposed to worship. So when we properly worship God, we respect God's creation of the angels. We're created beings, they're created beings, and just as they follow the authority of God to worship in the right way, so should we in the church worship God in the right way. So when when Paul says to the women at Corinth, cover up your heads, and when he says to the men, uncover your heads, he means respect the authority. Respect the way to worship God, and you also respect his creation. Now, in Corinth, then, how did the woman show that she's under authority? She didn't even have to open her mouth. She didn't have to say a word. She put on that head covering, and the cultural significance of that, of that statement is, I respect God's authority, and I respect the authority of my husband. I recognize his headship over me. Now, do you know one of the ways that you show that today? Here in Roner Park, California, in 2008... Women do not show respect for their husbands by wearing a head covering. But there is a way that you show respect. You know how you do that? How many of you are married? All right, ladies. I'm looking at ladies right now. Right now. How many ladies are married? We see that. Okay. How many of you took your husband's last name when you got married? Oh, I, well, I think everybody did. Did you know that that's one of the ways that you show that you respect your husband's authority? That's what that's all about. Now, maybe you didn't realize that. And I hope that none of you head down to the courthouse tomorrow to change your names back. But that's what that custom is all about. That represents that you understand that the husband is the head of the family. That's why you change your name to his name. Now, in Corinth, they didn't change names. That wasn't their custom. Their custom was the head covering. And so the woman put on this head covering to show that she was under the authority of her husband. Now, as I said, the principle behind it doesn't change. The authority is still there. So if you see a woman today that doesn't change her name to the name of her husband, what is she saying? Think about it, and you decide what a person who does that is saying. Now, let's go on. Here we have God's pattern for worship. We have God's purpose for worship. And now, number three, God has a perspective in worship. So if you're going to worship, wouldn't you like to understand things from God's perspective? I mean, we have this horizontal relationship worked out. I mean, man to woman, we understand that now. But what about how the way that God sees this? Well, in verse number 11, it kind of sums it up. It says, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Now, those last three words there, that's the key to understanding. It says, in 
the Lord. Now, that's what changes all the cultural mores. Ladies, you may not realize this, but you need to be very thankful for Christianity. The women of Paul's day were very thankful for Christianity because the way that God sees the woman is far different than the people of that time saw women. Now, let's read verses 12 and 13. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Now, verse 14, he changes the argument. Doth not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now, let's break that down a little, and let's see why Christianity is so good for all people, both men and women. The first reason is because in Christ, we have equality. Verse number 11 is a verse about equality. It says here, the woman is of the man. And, of course, what that means is that God took woman out of the man. Everybody knows the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God took a rib out of Adam and he made the woman. So the woman comes from the man. But then he says, he goes on, even so is the man also by the woman. So he's saying here that men, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for women. That's the classic chicken and egg argument. But he says, men, you are born of a woman. You got here from childbirth from a woman. So men and women have this intertwined relationship that absolutely makes us dependent on one another. We can't do without the other. There's some women who do not like the Bible because they say, I've read the Bible and the Bible sublimates women. Those folks need to get their heads screwed on straight because you know if it wasn't for Christianity that you, ladies, you might be today living under the old Roman system. You might be living under Islam today. And we all know what, the, what they think about women. Now, under Jesus Christ, things changed. Now, back in Paul's day, uh, under that Roman system, the women were treated like chattel. If a man wanted to divorce his wife, all he had to do is write it out on a piece of paper, hand it to her, send her on her way, and she's on her own. In the Jewish system, it was even worse. The Jews would actually pray prayers. The men would pray prayers, say, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. That's how they looked at women. In the synagogues, the men would worship down in the floor area of the synagogue, and the women were relegated to the galleries. They had no part of the worship. And so it didn't even make any difference how many women there were. You could have 100 women, but if you didn't have 10 men, you couldn't even have a synagogue. But when Christ came and Christianity came, now things change because now women have greater prominence in the church. It was women who came to the cross. They were there, weren't they? It was women who were the first ones who came to the tomb of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, there were women that were in the upper room. When you read the Bible, you read about godly women that, that the Scriptures mention, and especially go over there to Romans, the last chapter, and there Paul commends women for their faithful service to God. So things change in the outlook for women. In Galatians uh, chapter 3, the Scripture says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. What that means is we have equality in Christ. It means that the man is not spiritually superior to the woman. It means that he is not intellectually superior to the woman. He may be physically superior, 
even though maybe there's some ladies in here today, you could beat your husband in arm wrestling, but uh, usually the, the woman is the weaker vessel in that area. Satan's lie of women's lips says that you need to be set free. The truth is you've already been set free in Jesus Christ. And you have been set free to follow Christ's example. You've been set free to be submissive in the way that the Bible says. So what does this teach us? Well, number one, and and ladies, make sure you write these down today. The Bible does not teach male superiority. What is the biblical pattern? Jesus Christ is submissive to the Father. Is the Father superior to Jesus? No. They're co-equal. They're co-eternal. Jesus Christ voluntarily submitted himself to the Father's authority while he was on the earth. So the question is, ladies, are you inferior? And the answer is no. You're just submissive. You line up under the proper authority. When you think about the military, a sergeant may be smarter and stronger than his captain, but there's a line of authority. And if they don't follow the lines of authority, there will be chaos. And that's the same thing that's true in our churches and our families. Number two is the Bible does not teach male independence. There's some men who think, I don't need anybody, I don't need anything. Well, maybe I need one thing, I need a remote control, but you give me that, everything's all right. I don't need anything, I don't need anybody. That's not true. The Bible teaches you need your wife and your wife needs you. Number three, the Bible does not teach male-female sameness. Equality and sameness are not equivalent terms. Now, in God's eyes, you're equal, but that doesn't mean that you are the same. You know, today we have this dangerous humanistic trend to erase all the lines between men and women, make no distinctions, no gender distinctions at all. You know what I say to that? Vive la différence. I do not want to get up in the morning and kiss Dave Sharon, that's for sure. I'm glad there's a difference between men and women. Some of you, you haven't tried that, have you? This is, this is the problem. This is the problem in Corinth. They thought equality meant sameness. And so what they did, they said, well, it's all right for a woman to get up and conduct the services in the church. It's all right for a woman to get up and preach and to speak in the church. That's okay because women are just like men. But the Bible doesn't say women are just like men. It says that they are equal, but we're not the same. We're different. Now, lastly, we know that in Christ we have equality, but then also in nature we have an example. In God's perspective, we are all equal, but what God has done, he's made two types of humans. He's made males and females. He made us physiologically different, and there's a natural distinction between males and females. I'm not going to give you an anatomy lesson today. I think you already understand. There's a difference between males and females. So what's Paul talking about when he comes down to this whole hair issue here? Well, he said, nature can teach us something. Look at verse 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? For a woman, the scripture scripture teaches that her hair is her glory. We find that in verse number 15. But it says here that to have long hair, it is a shame. How long is too long? And we might have a debate over that. How long is too long a hair? And that difference differs, I think, in, in different societies. I do know that there's a church in an independent fundamental Baptist church in Texas that has a barber shop in the church. And so before you go through the baptistry, you have to go through the barber shop. 
Heaven help you if you don't have a haircut that looks just like theirs. We don't have to deal with hair issues so much anymore today. But you remember this? I'm sure all of you that are my age, you remember back in the 60s when there was a movement, when there was an anti-establishment revolution against authority. Anybody here remember that? What is one of the things that symbolized that revolution? Long hair, exactly. Long hair. If you had long hair, it associated you with a drug culture. It associated you with rock and roll. It associated you with immorality. Some of you here today, you might even be former Woodstockers. I don't know. But whether a person was involved in that or not, I mean, you didn't actually have to be into drugs. You didn't have to be into that type of culture and practice that. But to have the long hair was a symbol that you were identified with that. And that is the same thing as this thing of the head covering in Corinth. If the woman didn't wear the head covering, then she was associated with the loose, immoral woman. So what's Paul teaching here? What's the overarching principle that we learn from Paul's discussion when we look at heads, hair, and hats? What's he talking about? Well, here it is. Your appearance, male or female, should never distract from the worship or cloud the glory of God. So every one of us, men, women, teenagers, children, we should all line up under the proper authority and we ought to recognize God's pattern of authority. And what God has done, he has defined the roles of worship in the church. We have a different role. Men have a role, women have a role, and both those roles, when properly done, they glorify God. And that's what God wants us to consider. We must accept God's authority and see these things from God's perspective of worship because that's the only way we truly glorify God. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. An unusual message we know, and, but we're taking Scripture by Scripture, verse by verse. We're dealing with the things that Paul teaches the Corinthian church. And certainly, Lord, it's good for us today to understand timeless principles, how we do need to understand the issue of authority. And we ought not to get that confused up with personal preferences and other things that people teach. Help us, Lord, to see that today. But most of all today, Lord, we just pray that there might be someone here who recognizes their need to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Would you speak to some heart today as we sing this invitation? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.